check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Today, we get to hear from Sarah Paul of Sarah's Teaching Snippets. She is an online educator as well as a reading interventionist. She shares a lot of helpful information about how structured literacy looks in the classroom and in an intervention situation. Really, structured literacy is for everyone. We'll get right into the episode after the intro. Welcome to Triple R Teaching, where we encourage you to think differently about education by helping you reflect, refine, and recharge. This isn't just about trying something new as you educate those entrusted to your care. We'll equip you with simple strategies and practical tips that will fill your toolbox and reignite your passion for teaching. It's time to reflect, refine, and recharge with your host, Anna Geiger. Hello, everyone. Today in our Balanced to Structure Literacy series, we're very excited to welcome Sarah Paul. Sarah has been blogging at Sarah's Teaching Snippets for quite a few years. She is a reading interventionist for K-3, and like everyone else in our series, she started as a balanced literacy teacher and now has put out quite an amazing amount of content related to structured literacy. So we're excited to talk to her today. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you learned about teaching reading way back when and how that started to shift for you? Such a funny question because I love to talk about how when I was in college, before I became a teacher, I didn't learn anything about reading. And then I was trained on the job my first couple years of teaching, but I was trained with the balanced literacy model. This is back in about 2003. And like most people, I loved it and just really ate it up and took pride in, in learning about reading. And then it was around 2008, I want to say, I had a student who we later found out had dyslexia and it really sent me down this path of why what I'm doing isn't working and I want to figure this out, but also just the mystery of dyslexia, just not understanding. None of my classes talked about dyslexia. I of course heard the word because I had a cousin, a couple cousins with dyslexia. So I, I vaguely knew about it, but I didn't know anything about it really. And so I started studying it and I read Sally Shavitz's book and I started to think, okay, I'm going to start trying some of these suggestions and just different ways of teaching with this student. And then that brought into, oh, actually, there's a whole reading group that would benefit from this type of Mm -hmm. instruction. So I started digging a little bit deeper. And then I just sort of by accident heard Louisa Motes talk. She came to Oregon, where I'm from, and I just happened to be able to go to this conference. And of course, at the time, I didn't know who she was, and it blew my mind. And everything she had to say was like, whoa, I... I'm doing this wrong. And I hate to say doing it wrong because that sounds kind of harsh, but I really started to reflect on how I was teaching everything. But at the time, I didn't know anybody doing anything differently. And balanced literacy was the quote, right way to do it. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't have that confidence to change everything right away. So I like put a toe in the water and slowly, you know, did it for this group. And then, oh, actually, this is working. Let me try this for this other group that's you know, not that far behind, but maybe something else will work for them. Okay, now it's working for them. And anyway, it just slowly expanded. And at the time I was teaching first grade, so I moved to a different position. And that's when I totally changed to what we now call structure literacy, but it didn't have a name back then. So you've been at this for a long time, it sounds like. 
Yes, but, you know, kind of on my own, just sort of searching and figuring it out. And the International Dyslexia Association had put out something about structured literacy. And, you know, I just looked for anything I could find. And I had some classes through, what is it called? I'll think of the name of it. It'll come back to me. And my local decoding dyslexia chapter at, in Portland also was doing some some different presentations. So I was learning there. I learned a little bit through Barbara Steinberg, reading specialist. So I was just looking anywhere I could to find information at the time about dyslexia. The signs of reading wasn't a term. I just really was trying to figure it out and was thinking, gosh, I just think this works for everybody, but I wasn't brave enough to completely transform to what we now call a structured literacy classroom. It was a little easier when I became an interventionist or a reading specialist because all those kids, I could justify it. I could say, well, these kids all need it. So that's when I really made the bigger switch. But I really was just kind of trying to figure it out and made some mistakes along the way and probably got a lot of things wrong. But, you know, that's how I learned. Well, I'm sure people listening are wondering, what did you change for that particular child? So what were you doing that wasn't working? And then what did you do that made the difference? Well, I was, for one, I was using just leveled readers. So, you know, you have your classic, why is this student stuck at level C? Well, that's because that's as far as you can get when you can guess based on pictures and patterns and not really reading. So the first thing that I changed, and I I knew about phonemic awareness and I I was kind of doing it, but um, I started doing it, teaching explicitly phonics and doing a lot more phonemic awareness activities and then kind of uh, just really slowly just starting from ground zero. Mm -hmm. And at the time it was just like, okay, I guess I'll just do a little bit of phonics here and there. But then I realized, oh no, like all he needs is for me to connect these sound symbol relationships and to work on phoneme blending and phoneme segmenting. And then once he has those letters mastered, I need to, you know, basically what we do now for structured literacy, but I just... At the time, it just seemed so extreme and so different. Um, and then, you know, I started searching for decodable readers and writing sentences, decodable sentences, because I, I thought, ooh, I know I'm supposed to be doing leveled readers, but he can't read it. You know, he sees a picture mm-hmm. of a tortoise. It says tortoise, but he says turtle. I mean, that makes sense, but it's not really reading. Mm-hmm. And he's just guessing. So I just totally threw those out with him and then with his whole group. And then I just started creating whatever I could find. I started looking for old basal readers that had sort of decodable stuff and that worked. But um, really it was just trying to figure out how do I make this, you know, explicit phonics. I didn't really have a word for it, but I knew what phonics was. And that's Mm -hmm. just the biggest change I made at first. That and phonemic awareness with him and really driving that home and kind of putting aside my strategy bookmark. Remember those strategy bookmarks? like. Look at the word, look at the picture, like, oh, yes. I don't think I'm going to do that. So <laughs> I remember I sent those home in reading bags. They were laminated, nice color, colorful bookmarks. Now that you're an interventionist, how do you, like, what's your kind of, when you have a new student, what's your plan of attack? Like, how do you start figuring out what they need? Well, I start with dibbles because that's just a good screener and it gives me a lot of information right away. So let's say I have a new first grader. That's kind of the easiest one. Dibbles has a lot of different measures I can look at. So I can see, first of all, do they know like the basic letters of the alphabet? That's kind of the first. And then the nonsense word fluency helps me to see a couple things. Number one, I'm looking to see, do they have the sound symbol relationships down? And number two, are they able to blend those sounds together to read the nonsense word? 
And then there's also the word reading and then the oral reading fluency. So I get a lot of information from that. And often I often, if, if I see that they don't do very well on the nonsense word fluency, I might dig deeper and just do a regular, maybe like a CVC word and see if they can read a sentence with real words and just kind of see where I'm at there. If they are able to do part of the nonsense words, um, but they're not able to do the oral reading fluency, then I'll do a phonics assessment and see, okay, so maybe they have CVC words down, but do they have... Do they know vowel teams? Do they know silent E? And just kind of really pick apart what uh, the actual issue is. And then I go from there. So then let's say you find out that they are, they're stuck at CVCE words. Then what, what kind of things do you do with them in your lesson? I start by, I still want to review all of those graphemes, those, just the regular ones that we've, the regular letters of the alphabet and the short vowels. I want to make sure we have those and digraph solid. And then I would start with, to introduce silent E, I usually start, I would say, uh, reading starts with your ears. That's another big change I made. So I would bring up a familiar word. So let's say the word is game. We want to say game or gate. So I would have like magnets on the board or sound boxes or something representing the sound. So I say, let's let's listen for the sounds in, in game. G, A, M. So I draw three sound boxes or have three magnets on the board to show. And so we agree there's three sounds, right? Okay, let's match the... The letters to the sound so I then we'd build g-a-m and I'd say well now wait a minute we've learned that this would then say gam so then I, that's how I introduced the silent e so then I would say you know this is a, a new spelling pattern that we're going to learn that when you see a vowel and I point to the a and then a consonant and I point to the m and then an e there that's a new pattern where we know that usually not always but usually that e can help that a make its long sound A, and just sort of explain that way, and then do a lot of examples from there. We start at the word level, so I do what I just described to you several more times, but then have them join in with me and tell me what to do. So let's say our next word is like, I would ask them to spell it for me, and then when they get to the E part, am I done yet? Do I need something else? And then just again reiterate, why? Why does that A say A in that ad? And just sort of keep using that that language and pointing out that pattern. Then we move into, let's do the opposite now. Let's decode. I'm going to build a word with my colored letter tiles. They can clearly see the pattern. And let's practice our decoding. And remember this, are we going to hear the E? Is the E going to say anything? That kind of thing. And then we practice at the word level. From the word level, we move on to the sentence level. So decoding sentences and then to decodable books and then spelling independently on their own too. Have you found some favorite decodable books that you like to use with your students? I really like the company Phonic Books. I met them at a conference a few years ago. They're wonderful people. They're from England. They have really good ones because the, the pictures that they use, they don't look very babyish. Mm-hmm. And they're just really good stories. And they go all the way up. They start, they have some for younger kids, but they also have some that they call catch-up readers. You know, if you have a fourth grader who needs some decodable readers, they're really interesting and they have a good storyline. I wrote a few of my own. I find them Gosh, I just I think I just look anywhere for them. Sometimes I go on Amazon and look for old decodables from other other series. Just anything I can get my hands on, really. I know at the beginning you said that that you loved balanced literacy and I loved balanced literacy. Like, and it felt like to me like this mm-hmm. is the only way to teach reading. This is the only right way. And if I'd see like some down the hall doing like lots of explicit phonics, I thought, oh, they're just they're working too much at the you know at, I forget what they used to call it, the balanced literacy um, books I would read, but like you know, skills in isolation, you're reducing it to basic skills, you're, you're taking away meaning. Those are all things that I believed very strongly. And I, I would have been afraid oh, yeah. to go to 
the structured approach because I was sure that was just going to make it really boring and that they didn't even need me if all I had to do was just follow this curriculum. What can you speak to that in mm-hmm. terms of like maybe were those were there any concerns that you had and and how would you speak to someone who has those concerns now and is afraid to to that try is something such new? That's a great question. So I have two different ways of looking at this. First, I realized that so much comprehension is taught through read aloud and you can still do a shared reading type of experience. And it's so rich for those students. And the wonderful thing is your whole class can participate. It's not just the readers. So I I think a big shift when I finally started to understand that you can teach comprehension and you can have that literacy rich classroom still it's just two different parts of, of your lesson. So I'm going to do a phonics lesson or a morphology lesson, but then I'm also going to have my read aloud or whatever I'm going to do to make sure that they are also getting the comprehension, which is the point of reading. You know, mm-hmm. they're, we're still connecting to meaning. So that's one thing is just the read aloud is so powerful and is equally as important as the phonics time. Yep. And as an interventionist, I don't do the read aloud so much, but I do work with the teachers to make sure that they're doing that in the classroom. And that's the stuff that teachers love to do. That's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, great discussions and you can model certain things. So they're still teaching them at the from kindergarten, right? That doesn't uh-huh. change. Another thing I'd say is I have found that you can take a decodable sentence and really dig deep. And it sounds so silly, but... We we kind of determine how boring we want our phonics lesson to be, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's just if I'm just reading a sentence, I just did a um, a post about this. If it's if my sentence is, I'm trying to remember the what the sentence was. Sam Sam gets his red cap, and I'm just saying, sound that sentence out and move on. That's boring, you know, mm-hmm. Sam Sam. That's boring. But if I start to say, okay, cap, what does cap mean? And Let's say they say, oh, it's a cap can be a hat. Okay, what else can cap be? Cap can be something you put on your glue stick. Okay, so there's different meanings of cap. Well, let's find out. How can we find out which cap it is? You know, let's look at the other words that might be on the next page or something like that. There's vocabulary right there with the multiple meanings of cap. I'm talking about visualization with them. Okay, what do you picture? You know, not so fast. We just read that sentence, but we're not done yet. So what... What do you picture is happening? He puts on his red cap. Okay, if it's a glue stick cap, maybe it fell off and he's in school at his at his desk. Or maybe he's at a baseball game because a cap could mean you're putting on a baseball cap. Maybe it's hot out. So just you can really dig deep into a decodable sentence. Um, I was One time I was tutoring a student and the word lap came up. And I had in my head two definitions of lap. But then they thought of another one. And I thought, wow, gosh, we could really... There is a lot of definitions of lap and just talking about that. So that's vocabulary right there. I know it's at a really basic level, but what we're teaching them is is to pay attention to text, not just like the phonics part of the text or the morphology part, but we're really talking about the vocabulary and pay attention to what's happening and visualize and discuss, even if it's a five sen- five word sentence. So that's what I would say is that we can make it as rich as we want it to be, just depending on how we're teaching it. I love that. So it's, it's encouraging teachers to keep seeing learning or teaching opportunities, which is something that you'll get better at the more you do structural mm-hmm. literacy, the more you practice it. What would you say? So I was watching a, a workshop today. It was about um, prevention is the best. Prevention, not treatment is the best for dyslexia, something like that. And the point mm-hmm. was that you can't, you know, prevent someone from having dyslexia because it's a brain based issue. Mm-hmm. But 
but you can have high quality tier one instruction that for some kids means they won't need extra intervention or at least not a lot of it. What would you say to Mm -hmm. someone who's listening and really wants to have that kind of instruction that's going to help meet the needs of everybody? Like what, what, just some general ideas for what it should look like teaching in K to two. I think just making sure you have a sequence in mind so that you know you're teaching all those graphings or their spelling patterns. And so you just kind of go and start the year knowing what you're going to be doing. Um, I didn't have that for a little while and I just feel like I was just grasping at things. Um, so if you can get that, if you have your roadmap, so to speak, and you also have a plan for, you want to make sure you're going to do your, your comprehension piece every day. And you want to make sure that you're going to be doing the um, actual foundational skills every day and keeping in mind just, okay, we want to have some phonemic awareness in there. We want to make sure we're explicitly teaching the phonics patterns or the graphemes and giving plenty of opportunities for them to practice. I think that's what the key is. I have the most fabulous first grade teacher at the school that I'm working at right now. And we've been working together. You know, obviously I I take some of her students and she's doing the same type of stuff that I'm doing, but in the classroom with the whole class. And she said, it's the first year she's done it this way, you know, to this extent, because she always was kind of worried about, okay, it's going to be boring for the students who are a little bit higher and um, maybe don't need it. And keep in mind, those higher students, you can still pull them and do read a book that's appropriate for them. So it's mm-hmm. not like they're not going to get that still. But, you know, she would take some time during the day to do the lesson that was more with foundational skills. And she's found that she has better produced better spellers because, yes. as you know, often a first grader can read really well, but the spelling piece might not be there. Um, so she's finding that just like, wow, it's really filling in other gaps. And she said she was surprised that none of her students seem bored by this That's instruction. So and that really surprised her. Yeah. Um, and I think just giving those opportunities. So she's teaching the lesson and then... And then she's differentiating. And so some of the kids, you know, maybe there's already kids who are readers and they don't need a decodable reader. Great. They're going to go do that. Some other kids are just right on track and they need a decodable reader. And then there's some kids who maybe need a little more support. Um, and so they w- might come with me or she'll work with them a little bit more. But giving them opportunities to practice is key, I think, because that's... And and the spelling piece is key too. So the decodable readers with making sure that you're doing spelling just as much. And that was a piece I was missing and didn't get to a little bit later. I was so focused on decoding and I didn't do that. You know, um, what we now talk about with the orthographic mapping, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't do that spelling piece as much. And that is so important. Can you tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit about like specific types of things she's doing with her kids that you're doing that build in that review and that practice just to help just kind of get a picture of the types of things they can be doing. Word sorts, I think are really helpful. And, and you can do that whole group or small group, um, lots of opportunities, even though it is just like a worksheet, but sometimes you can turn a worksheet into something that's kind of a little bit more fun. Like maybe they're spinning two spinners or, um, even if it's just spelling words on paper, I have a whole kind of a whole routine that I do where I start with reviewing the graphemes and then usually I teach the skill and depending on the day, if it's a new skill, I'll spend more time, but if it's a review skill, I'll just quickly review. And then I'm like a pocket chart. I don't know if you follow, if you've seen me on Instagram, I love 
pocket charts. <laughs> and I do a lot of like word and picture sorts. So here's a picture sort I might do. Let's say I'm teaching uh, long A, AI versus AY. I'll have the letters AI and AY and each of them has a column and then I'll show a picture. And if you're doing a whole class, you can show it under a document camera or you can just say what the word is. You don't actually need the picture. So let's say the word is paid. So I, I would talk about how Okay, where we hear the sound A in the middle, and we've learned that AI is the one that would represent the A sound. So where would it go on the pocket chart? So we do this whole sort where then we put it under the AI, and then at their desks, they would have their whiteboards, and they would spell the word paid. So it's just mm -hmm. a little slightly more interactive way to do just spelling. So that would be one. You could do that with short vowels too, where you, let's say I've just taught E and I, and they sound so similar, the E and the I. So you could do that also with sorting. You don't even have to have picture cards. You can just write the word. So have them write on their whiteboards first. So if I say the word set, and of course using the sentence so they don't think it's sit, and then they would write it on their whiteboards and I'd say, okay, which where do I put it? And they would say under the E, and then I would write it on the board. So that's just a more interactive way. That's just an activity that we do a lot. And I'm trying to think. I also have word cards where we would read the word together and sort them. All the things you're talking about are making me think about the art of teaching. I think um, for people that are concerned that structural literacy is going to be boring and is only for the kids who really need it, they should check mm -hmm. out Anita Archer's book, Explicit Instruction, or Anita Archer on YouTube, on YouTube because she has... Yeah. She's just a really dynamic teacher, and you just find out that there's just little tricks, you know, and, and how to keep students engaged, you know, how to keep them constantly yeah. um, participating, and she shows you things you can do besides just calling on individual kids to keep the lesson right. moving, and it can just liven up anything, and I think yeah. once, you, once people start learning about structure literacy and, and phonics and, the, and how the language works, it, it does get kind of addicting. <laughs> like, it's very interesting. It does. Well, and I do these things called sentence scramblers that I think I, a lot of people do those. That's not unique or anything. But I make decodable sentence scramblers. And oh. those are a favorite. Because it, what it does is it takes, you know, they're decoding the word, but they're also having to put it in order. So it's, it's syntax and you can connect to meaning. You can work on fluency. Like, how would I read that sentence? So I do, day, I do those almost every, every day. Well, we're going to definitely send people to your website. One thing about your website that stands out to me compared to some other, you know, TPT sellers is that you really work to educate people. And you, you obviously spend a lot of time on your blog posts. They're extremely informative. And I've linked to them a few times on my website because they're just so thorough. <laughs> um, and you have a lot of, you have a nice um, balance of text and visuals, which I really appreciate. So they're just easy to read and understand. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know you do. You do a fantastic job. So we'll definitely encourage people to check you out there and also your Instagram. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you got started on selling or, or blogging and, and maybe about some of your most popular resources or what you're most proud of? 2010 is when I started noticing there were teacher blogs just in general. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. Maybe I'll do it. And I had been teaching first grade for a little while and I just wanted something to kind of do something different. So then I started blogging, just whatever. I would just post whatever I did that day or I don't know. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that. And then when I was on maternity leave, I just needed something that was, um, I just missed teaching and I, mm -hmm. I just needed something. So I started doing it a little bit more. And then when I started diving in, to dyslexia, that's when I really kind of shifted from just like, this is what I'm doing in class to wanting to share what I was learning. And part of it is I am a slow learner and I would read these books, like in particular Sally Shaywitz's book, which is what taught me all about dyslexia. And I would 
took me forever to wrap my head around it. So my blog became my place where I would almost like just take notes and try to be like, I go back and read my own blog posts. Yes. <laughs> so it would take me honestly months to write some of those blog posts. It was a way for me to organize all of these thoughts swirling around in my brain that I wanted to understand. I had to read it over and over and over again and draw it out and scribble it and do it again and again. And I thought, I might not be the only person like this. Maybe, maybe somebody else could benefit from my cliff notes version, so to speak. And then and you, you do a nice job of breaking down some hard things like, like syllable types. Like that was due to me a couple of years ago, like, and then oh, yeah. syllable division and, and there's so many other things too, but that's new to a lot of us from balanced literacy, but they're pretty foundational concepts to really, that you really need to figure out. What, yeah. what types of resources do you like to share the most? Is it mostly phonics that you're sharing? Yeah, I think the phonics stuff, and I'm really getting into morphology and oh, learning yeah. about, um, that's a really big piece that I wish I would have talked a little more about. Now that I integrate morphology starting in kindergarten, it makes yeah. such a difference. Starting with just suffix S, E, D, and I, N, G, uh, using hand motions and just orally doing it and helping them understand the concept of the suffix so that yeah. when they hear the word, even being able to be like, oh, wait, there's a, there's a suffix there. There's, you know, that's, that's past tense. Or mm-hmm. I hear ING, that kind of a thing. That has been a really big game changer that I do in my classroom and that the teacher, teachers at my school now do. And it's, it helps with the spelling, but also like you were saying, the structure of, of our language. And it sets them up for when they get to be in, you know, third and fourth grade and beyond when morphology really becomes you know, more important than phonics, actually. It, it starts to take over and it sets the stage for just understanding the concept of, a, of the structure of the word. You know, that never, it's not just sounds, basically. Yeah, that's really good. I'm, I'm just starting to learn more about that myself. It's a whole nother world. <laughs> like I, it's funny because yeah. I was, I used to talk a lot more about, like I did a lot of um, literacy and a lot of math and and now I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to do one thing. It's just going to be, it's just going to be structural literacy from here on out. And I said to my husband, I packed up all my professional math books that I don't have time to work with anyway. And I said, I don't need these because I definitely have enough material for at least 20 years on structural yeah. literacy. There's just so much. And it's, it's very exciting that you'll never stop learning. They just keep coming out with more things for us to understand and to apply to our oh, classroom. Yeah. So maybe sometime I'll have you back to talk about morphology because I bet we could talk for a whole half an hour just about that. We could. And I'll keep studying because i <laughs> learning more. Yeah. And well, as you talk about all the learning you've done, I know you mentioned Sally Shaywood's book. Is there any other, you know, for someone who's just getting started or maybe they're, they're a little bit along, but they want to learn more. There's particular resources you would mention, whether those are books or, you know, podcasts or um, blogs. Anything by Louisa Motes um, and her, the letters training, if you can get access toward that, you know, you mentioned Anita Archer, definitely anything. Um, Kilpatrick's book is kind of, that one's out there now. People know about that. Um, I think his name is Richard Gentry. He's got some spelling stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm really bad with remembering names. That's his um, name. Yep. Oh, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. me. Um, <laughs> and if you're interested in dyslexia, there's a couple books. There's the Dyslexia Empowerment Plan by Ben Foss. That was the one that I read oh. quite a while ago. And the Dyslexic Advantage, which I really liked. And I like that book because it talks about, it just gets into more than just like dyslexia as the disability and it starts to talk about some potential not always not everybody it's not an advantage for every you know it's still it's a disadvantage in school in many ways but in life there can be advantages Mm -hmm. um and there's certain gifts that often can that we see go along 
Sometimes things develop because of all that they go through to learn to read, right? Like all the yeah. the discipline and things that they have to develop to to keep up or to, to learn to read successfully. Yeah. I couldn't remember the the first where I learned a lot of Orton Gillingham stuff and a lot of structured literacy stuff or with the Dyslexia Training Institute. That was way back in mm-hmm. many, many years ago. They do a lot of online classes. So that one was really good. And if you're interested in dyslexia too, there's the local decoding dyslexia chapters. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I think listening to you talk, I think it hopefully will help people see that structural literacy is for everybody, not just for the kids who struggle. And there's so much potential in terms of, you know, making it exciting and meaningful for all your students. So we'll be sure to link to all the recommendations that you shared, as well as your website and your Instagram and your TPT store. And thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll check out the show notes where you can get links to all the things we mentioned, as well as Sarah's amazing website and her TPT store, as well as her Instagram. So head to the show notes at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 87. Talk to you next week. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.